Post-production for this episode of Fruit Bowl is sponsored by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect over all the things they're passionate about. Join a space and chat about your favorite topics, or create a space of your own and invite your friends, or share it with the larger community. All in a safe, LGBT-friendly environment powered by Hornet. Look for Spaces in the App Store now. Beginning in Season 3 of Fruit Bowl, I started titling each episode with the name, age, and hometown for each featured interviewee. I figured potential listeners might want a quick snapshot of the interviewee, and what better way to get to know someone than asking them where they're from. But I quickly learned not to assume that every interviewee would want to disclose their actual hometown in their episode title. For many queer people, our places of origin are sources of painful memories and trauma. They are places we did not choose, places where so many of us bided our time and acted out early versions of ourselves that, looking back, have little to do with our current identities. When we finally leave our hometowns, we can stop worrying about what other people expect of us, and we can start thinking about what we want. It's a new beginning, a blank slate where we can finally begin to write our own story. So now I give each interviewee the option of choosing whatever city they want, and most often, they choose the city where they came out the place where we were finally given the chance to live life on our own terms. When you listen to Lillian's story, you'll quickly learn that she's nothing like what she was like in Sedalia, Colorado, a small community outside of Denver. In Sedalia, Lillian was a good little straight boy who judged other kids for having premarital sex. It wasn't until college in LA that Lillian began her journey into becoming a self-described, non-binary, gender-fluid, transgender woman who is a solo polyamorous relationship anarchist pansexual lesbian slut lillian wasn't sure what city to list for her episode so i suggested sticking with the sedalia so that she could provide just the slightest readjustment to sedalia's image as a place where no queer person ever came from the editor for lillian's episode is bailey becker one of three new Fruit Bowl editors for season four. Bailey is a queer, non-binary video editor based in Brooklyn, where they live with their partner and their cat, Leon. Thanks, Bailey, for all your hard work on Lillian's episode. I've been enjoying chatting with listeners on the Spaces app. I've created three different spaces there for Fruit Bowl, and one thing I've been doing is making recommendations to Fruit Bowl listeners who want to explore different topics. The other day, I shared a list of all the POC interviewees, and another listener wanted to know a list of episodes that feature stories about monogamy and how couples have navigated relationships over the long term. I am so thrilled that people are looking to Fruit Bowl as a resource to hear how other queer people have lived. This was the whole point of doing this project in the first place. So check out the Spaces app and join a Fruit Bowl space. I check them every day and I will be happy to direct you towards episodes that might have some useful information for you. Just a reminder, I am accepting short submissions from Fruit Bowl listeners. You can send them to me via spaces or email 
or you can record yourself using your phone's voice memo app and email the file to dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Just this last week, I queued up a bunch of videos from the archive for my patrons who give at the Salad Tosser tier. The next few clips include James from Season 1 explaining why Twizzler nibs are his preferred post-sex snack. Also coming up is Tom, who describes his method of facilitating threesomes, as well as his thoughts about shame and queer sex. Special thanks to my latest patrons, Hobart and also JL, for increasing their monthly donation. Currently, we are at 41 patrons who provide $251 per month to help pay for website maintenance, music licenses, and promotional efforts. Learn more at patreon.com slash podcast. Okay, that's enough from me. Now, here's Lillian. If I told 14-year-old me that I would grow up to be a pot-smoking lesbian slut that fucks a lot of furries, among other people, I would destroy that poor kid's brain. This is Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. My name is Lillian. I'm 36 years old, and I graduated high school in 2002. I am a non-binary, gender-fluid, transgender woman, and I am a solo polyamorous, or sometimes relationship anarchist, pansexual lesbian slut. That is a lot of words to say I do what I want and who I want. This episode was recorded in September of 2021 in Seattle. I grew up in unincorporated Douglas County, outside of Sedalia, Colorado. It was a conservative area in ways that I didn't necessarily understand at the time. It was a lot of ranching space. It was a lot of that sort of community. Some of the richer areas of the neighborhood were the sort of places where oil executives could have places to live with their flavor of conservatism. There was a lot of evangelical Christianity going on there, perhaps more than I understood, because my parents didn't try to get involved or too close to those communities as well. Parents have been married since they went to college together in the 60s. They are still together. My brother is two and a half years older than I am. While I was growing up, my grandfather also lived in the same area. It was just effectively the five of us within however many mile radius. When I was growing up, when I was a child or a teenager, I did not know any queer people. I was not aware of any queer people in my hometown. There were none visible until I was halfway through high school. I vaguely remember by the time I hit junior or senior year, there was a gay-straight alliance in the school. Uh, I didn't have anything to do with it. I thought I was a uh, good little straight boy at the time, but I definitely remember my senior year that I remember there were two girls in high school that were dating and that would be holding hands in the halls, and they got a lot of attention and not all of it good. 
I don't recall any conversation or any sort of awareness with my parents about queerness, about gayness, about anything like that. It simply didn't come up. I don't remember even having conversations about queerness in media. I don't remember any movies with gay couples or anything like that. I simply don't remember any of those conversations even happening. The first time I remember learning about the idea of sex must have been second or third grade. It was an evening and my best friend and I were walking up the hill from the baseball field to the school. And he told me that girls don't have a penis, they have a hole there. And I remember him drawing a little circle in the dirt with his foot. And he said, when they want to have a baby, he puts his penis in there. And I got this mental image of a married couple and the man is about to go to the bathroom, but he says to his wife, hey, I feel like I gotta pee, do you wanna uh, trail off? And that was my mental image at, I guess, eight years old. It became somewhat more clear over the next few years as I started watching more PG-13 and more mature media. There was definitely a sort of just growing understanding. We had some amount of sex education in elementary school and into middle school. It was slightly more than abstinence-based, but not too much more. There was definitely an understanding that this is for married people. This is what will happen after you are married. I didn't necessarily get the talk, but I got a book. My parents got a book from the library, made it clear that it was in the basket of library books, and then left me home for an afternoon alone. So as an avid reader as a child, I did pick that up and look. And I remember there were a couple throwaway lines in that book about, you might also feel this way about someone of the same sex, and that's okay too. And nothing else. No talk about how the mechanics of that might work. No talk about any sort of, certainly no sort of intercourse other than PIV sort of sex, but there was a sort of passing mention that, okay, I suppose this might happen. And then as I started contemplating and learning more of the possibilities of heterosexual sex, I was at least able to generalize that for a lot of these things, the particular shapes of a particular bodies don't necessarily matter. If a man and a woman might make out and kiss and enjoy these things, why not other combinations of people? And I didn't particularly register why that might be a problem or why that might even be any different. When I was first starting to actually get very curious about sex on my own, I had a computer in my own room and it had internet access. I was searching for porn. I was searching for written erotica. And so I would see pornographic images of women having sex with each other. I would be reading stories of women having sex with everyone, with men and women in various combinations. And I did gravitate towards those between ages 12 and 14 or so. I, I remember having probably a floppy disk with the best of the images I could find and download. <laughs> Hell, I remember in eighth grade, I was the only boy in my French class. It was me and 17 or 18 girls. And I remember one of the fantasies I had at night was that 
they would all be naked, all lined up, and ask me to taste them all, ask me to go down on them all and compare. And so that sort of space has always been in my erotic sphere, in the things that have been interesting for me. I don't remember the first time I started searching out probably went to Yahoo or whatever at the time and probably typed in boobs into the search bar. I was definitely doing searches for things like, how do you please women? How do you have better sex? And I found some very, in retrospect, boring, methodical, step-by-step -step ways to touch women to increase arousal, which it was the internet in the late 90s or early aughts can only expect so much of that, but it gave me a place to start from, certainly, and things to get my brain working on what might work there. I remember we had HBO and possibly Cinemax for at least a while, and I remember looking through some of those channels, either on a weekend or late at night, trying to find things that might be titillating. I remember finding one movie on HBO called Breast Men, and this was a perhaps somewhat fictionalized but documentary about the inventor or inventors of the silicone breast implant. And it was sensationalized. There were definitely some sex scenes in there. There were a lot of very visible boobs because of the subject matter. And I remember finding that once on HBO and being enraptured and continuing to look for it as it might come back around. I also remember some snippet of some movie who knows what it was on, but it was two women talking in a kitchen. One of them's asking the other, how do you orgasm from intercourse? It's just not doing it for me. And the other one says, oh, the secret is to move your hips around in a circle, like a little O. And those three seconds of film are also lodged deep in my brain somewhere. The other piece of media that made an enormous impression on me, it was a short story from a best stories of the year science fiction. The title was Oceanic. And what I remembered most about that story is that the humans in this story had been engineered to have interchangeable genitals, where uh, the genitals were called the bridge. And when you had sex with someone, your bridge would detach and attach to that other person. And I remember that very specific image of genitals separating and being traded around, and that fascinated me. I latched onto that so much. And it was this tiny little world-building detail in a story that was actually about faith versus science and evidence versus belief and these sorts of things. But my brain and what I was looking for at the time latched onto, oh my God, interchangeable genitals. As long as we could have that book checked out from the library, it sat by my bed with a bookmark on that story. And I probably revisited it five or six times before that book had to go back. I still have that book open in a tab on my computer now. I rediscovered it 20 years later. <laughs> There is the briefest mention of queer sex in that story as well, because the main character as this sort of more sheltered religious person is having a conversation with someone, and that someone saying, how many marriages do you think have the original bridge in them? And he says, almost all of them, except if they're both women. And, she, and the person he's talking to is like, oh no, it's not even close to that. And just trying to show him that the world is so much bigger than his very fundamentalist upbringing. And it was just this super offhand mention of, yeah, there are queer people in this world, which again, at the time, whoosh, 
went entirely over my head and I had just latched very onto this very specific way of having sex and this other possibility. As I was going into high school, the public face I was putting forward something of almost a sanctimonious child. Why are you trying to go toward figure out sex and have sex with each other? We are not mature enough for this. I wasn't really on terms with a lot of my peers to be having those sorts of frank conversations. I remember probably on a bus overhearing someone talking about having sex with her boyfriend and just thinking, why are you doing this? You're not ready for that. I was young for my grade by that time. In elementary school, my parents had moved me forward a year for various reasons. And people knew that, but I was not as included in many of the social groups as I might have been. Later going on into high school, I found a core group of friends I would hang out on the weekend with, got more in with the theater kids and a little of the International Baccalaureate or AP kids and was a little more accepted in those groups. But even those conversations, I don't remember them turning to sexual topics necessarily, at least while I was around. I started experimenting with my own body. I remember it would have been in eighth grade. I'd been reading about what masturbation was. Well, everything was very clear about this is okay and natural and there's nothing wrong with this. And I was trying that in various ways and I got a lot of, well, this kind of feels nice, but not leading towards this orgasm thing that I have heard so much about. And finally, it was probably before the summer before 10th grade, I remember finding one particular story that I was reading was a story about a girl whose mother catches her having sex with her boyfriend after they both turned 18, of course, and it's like, oh, well, good thing you're on birth control. This means I can now take you to my club. And she takes her to a club in Vegas, which is basically a sex club where she is, she then has the opportunity to be passed around and played with by many people in many combinations. I remember getting to the end of that story and wondering, why is my hand so messy? What is this on my hand? I had to get up to wash my hand, wash my hands, coming down in clarity and like, oh, I just masturbated to orgasm. That's what happens. Huh. Okay then, that's how that actually works. I can work with this now. I discovered literotica.com very quickly after that. I enjoyed often group sex, often female first person perspective and read that and wank until I came and then clean up a bit, play a game for a bit until I was tired and then go to bed. And that was my nightly routine for a few years in high school. At the time, I definitely thought I was a straight boy. The idea of trans or intersex bodies had certainly not crossed into my awareness at all. There was a section, there still is, of course, a section on literotica for transsexuals and cross-dressers. I probably looked at that once or twice, bounced off it entirely, went back to the group sex section. It didn't register, it didn't have any sort of awareness of that might be me. It, took a few more years to get there, certainly. When I went to college, my main criteria for looking for universities was that it had to be in California. I wanted to get out of Colorado. I wanted to get out of a rural space. So I applied to 
several colleges in California. I ended up at a small science and engineering college that was in kind of the eastern side of Los Angeles County, very much a more open, more liberal area that trusted students to be themselves, trusted students to be adults. There was very much an awareness on campus that sex exists that's going to happen. That's not a problem. There's free condoms available on each floor. There was a lot of understanding of just young adults are going to be young adults. And that was a really freeing environment for me in a lot of ways. There were also a lot more visibly queer people there. I remember a moment during orientation where seven of the mentors got up and just stood at the front of the auditorium and they said, all right, of these seven people, we have found one person among your mentors with each Kinsey number. We have a Kinsey zero here through a Kinsey six. Can you order these people? And of course the crowd got it entirely wrong. And that was very much the lesson. You can't tell what queer people look like. This is going to surprise you. Don't worry about it. Not necessarily don't worry about it, but don't make those assumptions. My first few chances to explore somebody's body and really get to know somebody's smell and taste and how they move and how their skin feels. I treasure all of those memories. I really do. I had a girlfriend for my second semester of senior year of high school that a lot of our makeout sessions and a lot of our time alone together involved me going down on her and I enjoyed that rather a lot. To my knowledge, she enjoyed that lot as well, but somehow in my brain I had not categorized that as sex. My first semester of college, I was with a partner that we had met in a camping trip. We started dating within the first two weeks of class, got together very quickly. We were possibly the two youngest people on campus because I had started at 17. They were even younger than I was, so possibly we gravitated to each other because of that. And we were very soon making out a lot, sleeping together a lot, and kind of both on the fence as to whether to start actually having sex. And they got on birth control. And then I remember one evening in mid-November, it was late into the evening, I think. It was in their dorm room. I had been going down on them and fingering them and they just said more I need more and I made the snap decision to move from oral sex to PIV sex and there was no conversation necessarily about it at the time and so that was my first time having PIV sex. come out as bisexual, I've come out as polyamorous, I've come out as transgender. There's so many different ways to have a first time. I don't know which ones to talk about first. My first time having receptive PIV sex, receptive penis and vagina sex was only a few months ago. You're not necessarily supposed to have sex with a neo-vagina for, for the first three months after it's installed. Let everything heal, let everything get a little more toughened up. So I had just come back from New York where I'd had my three-month post-op. Had everything looked at, everything everything cleared. I was here, I was at home, hanging out with a, a friend with benefits that I've had for the last few years. We were in the hot tub, and I said to them, you know, 
all my first major sexual experiences were barrier-free, and I'd like to experience that from the other side. Let's talk about testing. What have we each been doing? We're still coming out of the pandemic, so it's not like we've been fucking a lot of people each other. Can this work out? And things worked out that we did, and I think we were actually getting high as well in the hot tub. We were making out, playing, touching each other, and I finally, at age of 36, got to be on the other side of a sexual dynamic I'd had through my entire 20s. And that was really good, still really good. And still play with that person fairly regularly every, every few weeks when we get the chance to see each other. I fell in love with that first partner in college. We grew to depend on each other fairly quickly, emotionally. For better, for worse, there was definitely some codependence in that relationship. Both of us had mental health issues that we were years away from actually figuring out how those things really affect us. For junior year, we moved off campus together. Got, got an apartment a few blocks away off campus to have a little more of our space which lasted about three quarters of the year, and then we broke up and I moved back on campus. But I was definitely in love in that relationship. We were very much supporting each other. We were trying to make plans for the future. We were trying to shape our lives around each other. In an alternate universe, it worked out great. This isn't that universe. We didn't necessarily realize that it was a queer love, but it was. We were both trying to figure out sexuality sorts of things. They were tuning in on gender things a lot earlier than I was, and I think that kind of drew us to each other as well. Maybe subconsciously, but we kind of both had some of those things to explore and helped each other explore that. That was also my first open relationship because by winter break of our first year, they were saying, you know, I, th I think I'm bisexual. I want to be able to explore that. And I said, you know, that's fine do what you want to do. Like, you, sh you should have the chance to do that. So they dated a, f a few femme types as well and got to explore some of that. And that helped me kind of discover that open relationships work for me. Polyamory makes sense with how I want to live my life, how I want to relate to others. There's no great reason for me anyway to insist on monogamy and it's much more fun frankly much more fun and enjoyable to just take what chances you can and get to know more people and that doesn't have to be a one-on-one -on -one limited sort of thing by the middle of high school i think i had grown out a lot of the judginess. I had gotten to know people and gotten to know some of my own wants and desires and realized that people are going to be themselves and that's not worth feeling superior over. That doesn't make me superior. By that time, I had a friend group that I was close with, I was hanging out with on the weekends. They were dating people, they were kissing people, they were having sex with their partners. And I knew them as people, and I knew that's where their decisions had taken them, that's what they wanted to do, and I realized that was fine. I spent, a, spent almost two years in Salt Lake City for grad school, and I discovered the leather community there. I learned rope bondage there, both as a top and a bottom. I learned various BDSM things. I am very open to finding very different ways to, to play with people, to explore people. 
to let people explore me. I like new things. I like learning these things. And if that means we each get a few orgasms out of it, even better. I have learned that I really enjoy group sex. And I can throw parties where I can just say, hey, let's all come be naked in the same place. Let's be naked, enjoy each other, have an evening where we're just feeling out our sexualities, feeling each other's sexualities. And a lot of my most treasured sexual memories are being surrounded with people that I love and people that love each other. And knowing that you can just ask if you want to touch somebody and they will almost certainly say yes. And that's, that is the point. We are there to to know each other's bodies. One of the more recent ones has been a Pride Weekend party this year. During that horrific heat wave we had over the summer, I had moved the couch into the bedroom, had half a dozen people over, and as soon as clothes started coming off, stuff started getting hot and heavy. She and I were making out and touching each other hard, and I just said, hey, I need you in me, grabbed her, dragged her up onto the bed and held her on top of me. And we fucked right there. The fact that you can lust after somebody that openly, that explicitly, and have the people around you cheer is an experience I never would have been able to process until I'd lived it. It was such a change from how I thought I was gonna live my life as a teenager. <laughs> I am now on my second vagina. My first one did not work as well as I wanted it to be. When I was first transitioning, first going through, looking around possibilities, looking into non-binary options, I discovered there was a surgeon that would do vaginoplasty without actually using any penile tissue. And that sounded amazing, and I tried with that. And I had some healing complications. And as I was trying to get together with people and trying to have sex with people. There were four different times with four different people. My body did not cooperate. I was not large enough to take any of these people the way I wanted to, and it really started to wear on me. I got revisions for that surgery most of a year later. It didn't help. It made my labia look very weird. Uh, it did not give me any more size. And so finally, I just, I'm, I'm giving up on this. There's a pandemic starting. I'm not going to be fucking anybody new anyway. I just need to reset this whole build. That whole year trying to figure out how to have good sex with a surgery that was not the correct one for me, that I was not healing well from, that was a really difficult time for me. That was really demoralizing, definitely disappointing for, for those people that I tried to was trying to make things work with and just didn't. The new build has been, it's been a night and day difference. I got that build just about six months ago. Most vaginoplasties are what's known as a penile inversion technique, that the vaginal tissue is constructed from the skin of the penis and then the nerves there are relocated to form a clitoris. And a lot of vaginoplasties for a long time have just been creating some amount of cavity 
and just leaving that there and then relying on dilation and intercourse to keep that open. There are now some new techniques in the last five years or so that are either a peritoneal graft or a peritoneal flap where the construction of the vagina incorporates peritoneal tissue, abdominal lining, which not only provides a certain amount of lubrication in the right circumstances, but can also anchor the top of the vagina and the back of the vagina. So you get more depth, you get more size, and it can be a little easier to kind of keep those sorts of things maintained. And so my new build was a robotic-assisted peritoneal graft. So it incorporated some laparoscopic techniques with, um, with a robotic surgical assistant to really anchor everything down, make sure everything's going to stay in place internally, plus all the extra work that's been done on outside and aesthetic parts. And that has made an enormous difference in my sex life. This year has been amazing for me in a lot of ways, and it's really shown me a nice way forward. In some ways, the pandemic has kind of just been an opportunity for me to be like, you know, all these things I wanted to do to my body, let's just do that. Let's do these things. Let's get my hairline fixed. Let's get some larger breasts. Let's finally fix my goddamn cunt. <laughs> I have my body where I want it for the first time in a long time. Plus or minus some strength stuff that we can all that I can always be working on, but the major contours and major features of my body are what I want them to be. Might be the first time in 35 years I can actually say that. I am now confident enough to post on a dating app just hey, a past 6 month inspection who wants to test drive my pussy. And <laughs> I haven't had a whole lot of response from that, but I no way in fuck could I have done that two years ago. But I can just do that now. And it's fine, and it's normal, and it's right. I have almost never had sex with cis men. Maybe two guys over the course of my life. At least cis guys. And girl dick is amazing, but I would like to try more testosterone dicks. You can't really get a good cum shot after you've been on estrogen for particularly long, and I think I'd be into that. I do sometimes miss being able to top with my original hardware. I explored penile preserving vaginoplasty for a reason. I did enjoy giving penetrative sex, and at least for the first couple years of transition while I was looking into options. I thought I would still continue to enjoy that and just through all the changes I've had I eventually realized topping just wasn't the same anymore and it wasn't going to be the same. And there was never any way that it could have been the same. This isn't something I could have done differently. This isn't something that was a conscious choice or a conscious change, but I do miss it sometimes still. I don't miss it enough to try to go back or anything, but I don't want to pretend it wasn't great at the time. When I was first trying to come out as bisexual, I was in de facto closed relationships, so I was not 
hooking up in any sense. It was just sort of a matter of this is me, this is between me and my partners, and it's a thing about me, but it's not super relevant. When I came out as transgender, I was in open relationships, but I was very saturated. I was dating enough people that I was not looking for new people to hook up with. I was having sex and making out with people at parties, but this was all within a social group and people that I kind of knew already ahead of time. I was in a queer enough friend group, social group, sexual group that a lot of people were just like, oh, you figured that one out, did you? Cool. <laughs> but now that I'm definitely feeling a lot more confident to just flirt with strangers, post ads on Lex is the one I've been using most and had the most... I hate to phrase it as success, but made the most connections through. And now I can just say, hey, like, are we compatible? What do we both want? Can we work something out? Would this, what, do you, what do you like? What do I like? What do we each want out of this? Is this going to work? Is this not? Cool. And that's so much easier for me than it was four years ago, five years ago. And I'm really enjoying that. My parents could not have done anything to prepare me for my current conception of sex. I left home for college at 17, and it took until my early to mid-20s for them to accept that my relationships were my own, regardless of the paperwork behind them. Even when I introduced to them in my mid-20s that I was in polyamorous relationships, they were taken aback and almost horrified for me in simply not having any concept of how that could possibly work. It took until at least my early 20s where they would even necessarily allow me to sleep in the same room with partners that I brought home. These were partners that I was away at college with. We were sleeping in the same bed regularly, sometimes even living together. And my parents still had an expectation that we would sleep in separate rooms in their house, which we didn't. <laughs> now that I am very clearly my own adult. When I do go visit them, they're much more, okay, here's the person or persons that Lillian has brought home. Here are the beds available. They can work it out. My brother also doesn't necessarily understand my life. He very much has found Jesus, gotten married, had three children, and is not anywhere close to any sort of queer world at all. We don't necessarily have these conversations. I just introduce him to whichever people I have brought home, and he is kind and cordial and entirely friendly and accepting. But he also doesn't go out of his way to pry into my life to get a real understanding of how I operate with people. We were never particularly close. I was not aware of any of his romantic life while we were both in high school. I believe I only met his wife once or twice before their wedding. It simply didn't come up all that much. I came out as transgender somewhere shortly before my 32nd birthday. I started telling the people closest to me that, you know, I think this whole male thing isn't quite working out for me. I'm not necessarily sure where that's going to go, but just as a heads up, there's gonna be some changes going on around. And 
one dear sweetie of mine, this is, this is someone who, as, as a transgender lesbian herself, had said to me about six months before, like, hey, you know, I'm really gay for you. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I, I told her first and kind of said, you know, I don't think I'm a guy anymore. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> congratulations. Like, oh, okay. And so I started from there, like started reworking my wardrobe a little, finding tighter jeans, doing a little more shopping for skirts. I came out at work and to my family on Transgender Day of Visibility, March 31st of 2017. And at work that went pretty much fine. It's a company where there's a lot of top-down pressure for that to be okay. And the trans community within that company is very strong. My family was confused but accepting. I remember having a conversation with my brother where he said, you know, I've never actually known anybody that was non-binary gender fluid before. I'm like, that you you don't know anybody that you know of that's transgender before. And he's like, okay, okay, I get that. But I, I kind of thought you were on my side. I'm like, I didn't know how to respond to that. Like, I didn't have the wherewithal to go into detail of how fucked up is it that we're going with men and women as different sides but he didn't press on that too too hard i started exploring they them pronouns for a while for a while he him was still acceptable i started using a shortened version of my given name i don't even remember where it came from but lillian came into my brain as a yeah that's my name that's who i want to be the things i would say about myself and the ways i would describe myself were very much changing for two years or more over the course of transition. And I am so lucky that I was in a friend group, I was in a social group that was used to that sort of thing. That was used to people being like, you know, I'm going to be trying on a new name for a while. Can you call me something else? And everyone's just like, yeah, all right, something else. You want to go get dinner? I had to really fight the voice in the back of my head that was like, we're asking people to keep track of all these things that you don't even know about yourself. How can you expect them to? And it took a lot of people reminding me that we want to know you. We want to know you as yourself. We want to have the up-to-date information on that. But we've gone through a lot of these changes ourselves. We understand. Let us give you this same grace that you've given us. And having that sort of support and having that sort of encouragement was so, so key to me. At least two of my partners at the time were transgender themselves that I had helped through various parts of their transition. And I had so many trans friends around me that it was just like, all right, I, I see that these are options and I see that I can do all these things. Nobody's yelling at me to go start getting on surgery wait lists. I know I have time for all of these things. I know people are willing to share their experience and share the wisdom they've gotten from all that. And that made me who I am. If I told 14 year old me that I would grow up to be a pot smoking lesbian slut that fucks a lot of furries among other people, I would destroy that poor kid's brain I would have had no idea what to do with that. I think I'll, the only thing I could really say to myself at that age is there is so much more to this world than you are ready to acknowledge, than you are ready to deal with. I'd want to say that 
You don't have to be all these things that are laid out for you. You don't yet have a concept of how many possibilities there are for you. You can have your own path and your own motivations and your own wants on this. Even if they're not what you expect or what you recognize, that doesn't mean you don't want them. Because I don't know now, I can't know now. How much of all that I am now is stuff that I've always wanted, I just didn't recognize it as a possibility or didn't recognize that the work to get there would be worth it. It's all worth it. It's been so worth it, but it's been a lot of work and I hurt more people along the way than I might have if I had, if I'd actually known what I was going for. I'm extremely lucky. I am extremely privileged. I come from relatively wealthy parents. I can live a life in a city where I am safe to be queer, where I can exist as myself and I don't have anyone worth hiding from. I know how rare that is and I know what that's worth and I know a lot of people don't have that. And I'm trying to share that as best I can. I'm trying to help build community, help create spaces where queers can be themselves and meet each other and just exist without a lot of the bullshit that a lot of us have to go through. There's so much more than just boys and girls. It took me into my 30s to realize that there was so much more I could be and so much more I could do with my life. And if I had had that sort of understanding at 12 or at 17 or at 22, who knows what I could have become? Who knows where I'd be now? And for better or for worse, I don't know. I got a lot of where I did because I did spend 10 years as a white guy in the tech industry. And that has a lot of opportunities I wouldn't necessarily have now, or at least have trying to get into the tech industry as a queer trans woman. But I wish I could know how thing, how differently things could have gone. I think a lot of us do. I feel a lot of envy sometimes towards kids that are figuring this stuff out at 6 or 8 or 12. And like, whenever I see people like, Oh, it's I'm 22, is it too late for me to transition? Like, oh, sweetie. Oh, sweetie, no, you're fine. You're doing just fine. And whether that's gender stuff or sexuality stuff or being like, I'm 24 and I haven't kissed a girl yet. It's like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. There is so much more to look for now. Fruitball interviews are edited for length and narrative clarity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com, where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruitbowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. 
Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate us on your podcast platform, or write a review on Apple Podcast. And, of course, you can also follow us, for now, on Twitter at Fruit Bowl Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Fruit Bowl Podcast. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Rebecca M. Davis. This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.